You are listening to the Give Me Five podcast, episode number 29. Rush out on an uptown train, doors open, and she walks in, she's soaking, caught in the rain, her skin shines like crystalline. This is the Give Me Five podcast, where each week we discuss all things entertainment. It could be TV shows, movies, music, books, comic books, streaming, entertainment, or whatever. If it entertained us or made us think, we will discuss it. I'm Jimmy, and as always, I'm here with my co-host, Rob. Hey, guys. And Greg. Hello, everyone. Neither of those greetings were offensive. Not at all. Mine wasn't supposed to be, though. This week, we will be talking about... The Pinball Museum, the Netflix so cool. so original, nice. Uh, the Netflix original movie Ritual, the movie just available on Netflix, Veronica, and Rob will have a video game review for us for Monster Hunter World. Good lord, aka Pokemon for adults. <laughs> if instead of putting them in Pokeballs, you just killed them. And skinned them and used their bones to enhance your weapons and armor, yes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so it's a kid's game. Okay. Most so, definitely. Uh, this is your spoiler warning. And as I'm watching this, I am preparing for the Florida Gators to take the field, the court on their first NCAA game. So if I do start swearing, you'll know how it's going one way or the other. But this is a review show. There's probably going to be a, quite a few spoilers. We're going to try to avoid any major twists or talking about any major scares in any of the horror stuff we talk about mm-hmm. today. But uh, for example, uh, if you didn't know, that's probably a really bad idea to do a Ouija board during an eclipse. Why? Why would, would you do that? Who? What? That? No. Stop. No solstice. No. Yeah. Probably don't no. want to use one in an abandoned, uh, like, Creepy, dripping like a, basement. A sanitarium, maybe. You don't want to do that. Anything so, involving Ouija boards. That's just bad. Don't no, get... no creepy places. So you don't wouldn't want to do a Ouija board in Rob's bedroom. That's probably a bad idea. Not not a toy. Not a toy. Yeah. There uh, are or, plenty of things in my never mind. Yeah, anyway, oh. so or if you <laughs> didn't realize that Rob is the, the weird one of us, uh, then you're probably gonna want to pause <laughs> and and come back later. Although to really fully understand the weirdness of Rob, you would probably need to listen to some of our outtakes. Oh god. I do some editing. <laughs> I do significant amounts of editing. He does a lot of editing. Just saving those for our tribute show for, to for Rob's birthday. <laughs> so, guys, if you want to get in touch with us here at the show, you can find us on Facebook by searching for the Give Me Five podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Give Me Five Pod. You can email us directly at Give Me Five Podcast at Gmail dot com. And if you could, please. Leave us a review on iTunes or whatever podcast app that you're using. Thank you in advance. And I guess since I didn't get to talk about anything. Um... Sorry, I, I forgot. <laughs> I'm a terrible human. <laughs> Sorry. I'll, I'll, I'll hold on to the last one. Hey, guys, guess what? We've got swag. That's right. 
you can get all your Gimme Five podcast merch at the at well, not the at Give Me Five Podcast dot That's right. You can get your shirts, uh, cell phone covers, any any kind of little uh, little uh, tchotchkes that you're looking for. You know, it's funny. I was hanging out with two listeners, and I know they listened to the show because they were chatting with me about various things. Hanging out with them this weekend, and they, I was wearing a really cool Give Me Five Podcast shirt. And one of them's like, "Dude, you guys have shirts? Heck yeah, we really? have shirts." I'm like, we talk about it at the beginning of the show. And he's like, every oh, show since every show. we've had it. He's like, oh, you should send me that link. Really? So. Come on, man. Yeah. Who's that? Call him out. We we are apparently background music. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I won't mention any names, but they uh, rhyme with, uh, let's see. Uh, one, one of them's been a guest on the show. Yeah. Well, the, one of their names might rhyme with uh, Slowy. And the other one's name might rhyme with Shlomar. <laughs> but come on, no, man. Yes. But come on. But thank you guys for listening, actually. Rob, you can ask us if there's anything new since I forgot to give you anything important <laughs> to do on the show. I feel terrible. <laughs> so, no, you know what? I don't want to do it now. <laughs> Please. Rob, you are an important and vital part to the show because you are the person that remembers all of the names. Some somebody get my monkey. Where's my monkey? <laughs> Anything new, guys? <laughs> Probably buried under all that weird shit in your bedroom. <laughs> like an episode of Hoarders, just with way more vibrators. Oh my god! <laughs> Did we even make it out of the introduction before we went off the rails today? Oh nope. Boy. Okay. Anyway, so I was rambling on about the Oscars last week and talking about winners and losers and and drooling all over a shape of water. I totally forgot that Eddie Vedder played Eddie Vedder of Pearl Jam played at the Oscars. How dare you? About like an hour in Sacrilege. During my little tweeting thing, one of the people was like, Eddie Vedder's name is in the, the program. Some like celebrity writer, somebody from the Hollywood reporter. I was like, Oh what? And I was like, Oh god, if he's gonna do the the song for the the people we've lost this year, ugh, it's gonna be like heart wrenching. So mm. and he did. And he actually played a Tom Petty song, which because that was in the calendar year in the uh, between the last Oscars and this Oscars, Tom Petty had died. And they did a Tom Petty song called Room at the Top, which is off of the album Echo. And it was a song that was so painful for Tom Petty to even play because, like, he wrote it for one reason. But it was around the time of his divorce. And it was, you know, he was reaching he had reached the pinnacle of his career. His greatest hits album was doing well. His uh, the Wildflowers album did well. And he was divorced and alone, and he wrote this song, and he said, like, after playing it, like, 20-some times, I, I couldn't even bring myself to listen to it again. So he played that, and, you know, to the, you know, montage of people that had passed away this year, and it was it was really good, but it was rough. And then a week later, brand new Pearl Jam music, which I'm excited Boom. about. Boom! Yeah. That just happened. It did. And you know what, guys? I have loaded it into our system, and I'm, we're going to listen to a little bit of it right now. Here's with the DJ. Yeah. So the song is called is named Can't Deny Me. Uh, it is. It's one of the faster, harder hitting, uh, shorter songs, which Pearl Jam seems to like releasing early from their albums. Like, I don't know, well, check it out.
Awesome. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely going back to their punk influences. As I said before, it's it reminds me a lot of some of the other early songs I've released in just tone, like "Spin the Black Circle," um, the song that they released before their before their last album came out, which I was talking about right before the show. But now that I'm talking on the show, I don't remember it. But very guitar based. That for some reason the guitar reminds me a little bit of the song "Numb," the way it comes in and out by U two. Is is it weird that it reminded me of of I don't even know who sings it, and I'm not the music person, but that it reminded me of I I want to f you like an animal. That would be Nine Inch Nails, and uh, that's Trent Reznor. Mm-hmm. Less less industrial in a way, but I under, I see what you're saying. The way it like vocally, I get it. The deep drums. Yep. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, I mean, okay, took, so I'm you, so I'm not way out on a limb there. Okay. If you took this song and ran it through a whole bunch of like processors, you, you'd probably get that. No, so it's a, this is um, a protest song, and I, I believe it's going to be on their new album, which it'll be the first album in five years. The cover of the this the song was written, the lyrics were written by Eddie Vedder, the music was written by Mike McCready, the guitarist. The album cover was done by the bass player. And it was, and this stuff, the song was released on his birthday to the fan club members. So we all got a free download of the song for being in the fan club, which was a very big surprise. I woke up, there was an email. I was like, what's this? New Pearl Jam music. And I figured it was something that I could just listen to online, but it was an actual download for us, which was pretty cool. Uh, The cover itself is very reminiscent of the uh, Battle of Los Angeles album cover from Rage Against the Machine with like the the protesters and the, you know, the spray painted stuff. The sprayed outline. Like mm-hmm. that, there's a girl that's actually a photo of a girl standing in front of it holding up a, a sign that says Can't Deny Me, which is the name of the song. Uh, it was written and recorded actually in February, so it's hasn't, you know, it didn't take them all that long. And there will be an album supposedly out in 2018. I'm possibly guessing over the summer because they start going on, they're on tour now, but there'll be a small break in the middle of the summer and then they go back and tour in the fall. So I'm guessing maybe late summer. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. There's a lot of people that like, that like Pearl Jam like me. And then they'll hear a song that's protest-minded, and you have to really look into the lyrics to see what they're saying. They're not calling anyone out by name or anything. But the cash register, as part of the song, probably should should give you a hint as to who they're protesting against, who they're pissed at. But they – I always love when you go on a message board or something, and there's people like, why do they have to get so political? Like, they've been political since their first song on their first album, like, and you're just now getting pissed off about it? Like I don't, I don't understand that when a band will release a political song and they've always done it. Like their idols did it. They started off talking about Fugazi, all this other stuff, and and now you're all of a sudden you're upset when a song comes out that's moderately political. Well, this is I guess heavily um, political, but I I am not the biggest Pearl Jam fan in the world. You know that. Um, I like them. We saw them together in Atlanta, and it was one of the best Evan concerts I've ever seen. And I'm not surprised that they're releasing a protest song. Uh, they have before. They have so many years ago, like you said. It's I don't know why people would be surprised or freaked out or appalled by that. I don't know. Maybe people change, but that's not outside of Pearl Jam to I mean, know, I think. The song Evenflow, which was a huge hit for them, was about ending homelessness. There are big concert tours that they're doing right now where they're giving a million dollars per show of their own money to end homelessness in the city that they're playing. In fact, yeah. they're um, – they're doing a, an auction to benefit the families of the, the students from the, the most recent shooting. Like, where you get to meet the band, and it's going to make thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars that'll go directly to these families, which is great. So it's not like they're not putting their, their money where their mouth is. 
Um, and what I think is interesting about Pearl Jam is that the two people that they talk about the most and talk to the most are are Marky Ramone and Neil Young. And both of them are directly political opposites of them. Like Marky Mar- Ramone is known for being a conservative Republic, Republican. Neil Young is right. actually very conservative. He happens to be from Canada, so it's a little different. But But it's not like they don't listen to all sides of the story. So I always find it very interesting when people come after them. It's like, you know who they are. But I'm happy to get some new Pearl Jam out there. Uh, the song at first, I didn't, I liked it, but I wasn't like, okay, this is their bet, one of their best or, or anything like that. But they did play it live in Chile last night and someone got a video of it. And the song plays really well live. So I know it's going to be added to their, their set. And it's like two <laughs> minutes long, two minutes and 10 seconds long. And the video of that concert. I'd, I'd love to see it again. That yeah, two minutes. That clip. It's you can find it on YouTube also, but I highly suggest checking the Mountain concert. Unless you're Rob, because you hate fun. I do. Fun <laughs> makes me itch. No, that's not. Never mind. I'm not going to go down that route. <laughs> Don't, <laughs> Don't go there. Um, also, on some some very relevant news that I've been even told, Greg, uh, Nine Inch Nails will be actually releasing. Their last of, uh, I think they're three EPs oh. this summer and they are beginning the, the tour warmups. So hopefully we'll, uh, we'll be seeing them here in Orlando. They're definitely on my bucket list. I have not seen them yet. I went and saw game night. Oh, yeah. Surprise. Surprise. I went and saw that on Tuesday night mm-hmm. and I don't, I don't think you oversold it. Or undersold it. I think you were kind of right on. Mm-hmm. It was definitely Jason Bateman being Jason Bateman. Um, definitely. There was, there was a part there where I had to look away when it had to do with his arm. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. That was a they they focused on that for quite a while. But I'd I'd have to say my favorite character was the uh, the dumb handsome guy. Gary was great. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But. The, the dumb guy who was convinced that rich people have homeless fight clubs <laughs> was so funny. Wait, uh, don't they have homeless fight clubs? Well, you'll have to see the movie to find out. But, man, it was funny. It was cute. You know, it was an hour and a half. So really enjoyable. Yeah, it wasn't like it, that, it wasn't a huge time investment. And that scene where Gary backs into the door lasts a whole lot longer than you think it should and that makes it so much more funny. Super uncomfortable. And he, he's very much, um, I, for character reference, he had to have studied Eugene from The Walking Dead. Just very socially awkward. Very social awkward, but very matter of fact. No filter, you know, just creepy though. So creepy. But, uh, yeah, it was great. You know, thanks for the recommendation. I definitely recommend it, you know, for, for date night. It's like I said, it's an hour and a half. So if you have back problems, um, you're not going to be stuck in a chair for, for four hours, right? you know, watching Braveheart or anything, but yeah. Um, thanks for the recommendation. I'm no glad problem. I checked it out. No problem. Very What's going on with you? Not a ton. We're getting ready to, um, I've been to flower and garden a couple of times now. Um, have you tried any more of the food? E- nothing new. I did go back and have that, that pretzel. The pretzel in Germany. Oh, no, I tried a potato pancake in Germany that was really good also. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Super good stuff. And we had um, the the garden grill, which is the 
the probably the best character dining experience at Epcot. Um, it's it's the restaurant over by Living with the Land that that it spins that, around. That spins around, right? I don't know. But the have, Norway character dining experience is pretty cool with all the princesses. How, do they all come? They all come to your table and everything. And yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's a it's okay. a breakfast one. Is the oh, garden okay. is the garden grill inside of the land, or is it just like it is? Yes okay. and no. It's it's actually inside the building that the land is in, but the the restaurant itself sits above where the land goes through. So it spins through. You can see a couple of the um, a couple of the vignettes. Yeah, you like, can see, the, like the desert. I think the desert and, and the farmhouse. There's yeah. characters in there all the time, right? Yes. You've yeah, got yeah. um who is it? Uh Mickey, Pluto, and Chip, Chip and Dale. Dale. Yeah. And those four characters are there and they come to your table while you eat. And the food there is actually really, really good. And it's uh but, um, it's family style. At least when I went it was family style. Yeah. Yeah. And they just keep bringing the food to the table till you're done eating. Or dead. <laughs> yeah. Or, or or dead. Um but we, we actually didn't eat there, but we at the at the quick serve that's on the level below that. They, we were trying some of their desserts because we were cheating. Um, and we tried the peanut butter and jelly cupcake last time we were there. We're really disappointed with it because the peanut butter was really overpowering and there was not a ton of jelly. Um, That's a shame. Yeah, I, I like for my peanut butter and jelly to be a little bit more balanced. Um, but on the cupcake, the peanut butter was really overwhelming. The, like the icing was peanut butter flavored. The cupcake was kind of peanut butter flavored. There was a little bit of jelly in the middle of the cupcake. But instead of just being jelly in the middle of the cupcake, there was peanut butter in there also. So it was like peanut butter overload. <laughs> what's, you know what's you. funny? Like Rob is not what I would consider fancy when it comes to food, like a foodie. But mm-hmm. when you're particular about a certain type of food, like you're just, like the way you like your peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, mm-hmm. and there's nothing more terrifying to me than when you order a Cuban sandwich. Because you have very specific rules about your Cuban sandwiches. Oh, oh yeah. Really? And I've I've seen you send waiters and waitresses back to the kitchen in tears. Or almost oh, let's let's not let's not uh, exaggerate that <laughs> much. Come that on much. now. So, Rob, I'm yes. going to have to treat you to lunch sometime. There's a place right down the street from me called Cubans on the Run, mm-hmm. who has the best Cuban food and Cuban sandwiches that I've ever had. Okay, so we're well, on. Keep keep in mind that I grew up very close to Miami, so very very few places that I've ever been have as good of Cuban food as what I had back home. Okay, we'll try it. So, so, from what I understand, because I don't eat pickles or mustard, so Cuban sandwiches like right out for me. <laughs> what I understand, Rob likes when the when the meat is cooked all the way through, so you don't get cold meat in the middle of your sandwich. That's that is probably the most common the most common faux pas of any Cuban sandwich that I've that I've had. It's the they they press the bread. The bread is nicely pressed and it's crispy on the outside and a little bit soft on the inside. Um, but the meat is ice cold. And it's like, no, you got to warm it up a little bit in the pan before you stick it in the sandwich. So the bread is like warm and then the meat is like ice and the cheese is hard and everything. So it's not melted or anything. I'm like, what is this garbage? Mm. This no, isn't not right. the place I go to. Yeah. And we're get, we're get, we're actually getting ready for a uh, Disney staycation. Um, we're going to stay on Disney property because it's uh, Jen's birthday weekend. So we're doing. Oh, yay. Yeah. So we're doing Disney all weekend because, you know, that's what she likes to do. So we're going to do it. Happy birthday, Jen. Happy birthday, Jen. 
Yeah, happy birthday. And that was the Taste Bud Minute with Rob, Jimmy, and Greg. And we're going to get back to our, reg- <laughs> our regularly scheduled program, the Give Me Five podcast. No, nah, I think we're just going to end it and go eat some Cuban sandwiches and some cupcakes. Hell yeah, let's do it. Well, actually, Rob and I did have a little bit of an interesting night the other night, and we'll, we'll just call someone else. <laughs> so tonight we were supposed to be co- – we are recording on a Thursday night, which you guys don't know, but the we usually record on Wednesdays. And Our friend is a dick. No, we're not going to drop names. I just did. It's too no. late. I called him out. So what, what ended up happening was we were supposed to get a preview ticket, two preview tickets to Tomb Raider. And we went all the way out to Disney, which is about an hour drive for me. We rescheduled the we rescheduled show. We rescheduled our recording. Poor Jimmy had to cancel stuff. and It was terrible. I, I, I sat here in the dark by myself with my headphones on. Talking to this microphone about nothing. <laughs> rocking back and forth. I went out of my way to, to meet him at his house to pick up yep. the ticket. The tickets. I pull into the parking lot and I get this text from Rob. And it was like saying so-and-so is a dick. I'm like, what? And I look and I zoom into the picture and the picture shows that the ticket was actually for the night before. <laughs> so someone actually get he's not really a dick. Someone gave him the wrong information from the night before. And he didn't bother to look at the ticket because they, they had told him that it was on a certain date. So he just was like, I'm busy. I'm going to pass the tickets on. So we had a really cool episode planned of like, you know, reviewing a movie that wasn't even going to be out yet. But alas, I was forced to sit and have delicious dinner with Rob instead. It was a great April Fool's joke. It was a great joke. April Fool's joke. <laughs> he screwed, though. Not quite he April screwed, Fool's. Though, he got both of us like a few weeks before April Fool's Day, so we have some planning to do. Mm-hmm. So. I think, I think we can figure it Our question tonight out. will be the top five horrible things we can do to our friend. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay, so uh, let us move on. All right, so this week we got another movie released on Netflix. Now, it's not exactly a Netflix exclusive, but I've been pretty excited about it. It is Veronica, and it's from director Paco Plaza, who you may or may not know, he directed the movie Wreck, which is the original Spanish form of the movie Quarantine. So Quarantine. I always get that mixed up. Yeah. Uh, Wreck came out first. Because the first time I heard of Quarantine was at a haunted house for it. I think it had not even been released here hmm. yet. And they did a haunted house for it at Not Scary Farm out in California. And we happened to go through it. And I was like, this is terrifying. What's this from? And then I, when I realized it was from a movie, I eventually went and saw it. And both Quarantine's pretty good, but I've heard Wreck is actually better. Quarantine is pretty good. Um, Quarantine spawned like some really weird sequels. Like uh, there was like a Quarantine on the plane and it got real goofy. Wreck eventually did get kind of goofy. I think there were like four, but Wreck was memorable. I think Quarantine was was good, but Wreck definitely stuck with me. Um, in terms of found footage movies, I mean, it's found footage horror movies. It's you know number one, number two okay. on any you know most people's lists. I really enjoy Spanish filmmakers like from Spain. Like in all the classes I took in college that were talked about European filmmakers, like I usually mm-hmm. tuned out during the French filmmakers. Most of them. Um, I liked, uh, I think the guy that did, um, professional, I think he's French, correct? That is Luc Besson. Yes. Yeah. So I love his stuff, but most of the more dramatic stuff I didn't like, but even yeah. the like romantic comedies from Spain, I love mm-hmm. those and Mexico. It's a, there's something about the, 
the filmmaking style. It's, you can tell it's different. And in a way, I, I kind of noticed that in this movie, in Veronica. Well, see, there's this um, director. I don't know if you've heard of him. His name's Guillermo del Toro. Go on. <laughs> um, no, I agree. It's it's definitely um, it's a different vibe. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess to see it in a different setting, um, it's, it's just not what we're used to every day over here. Yeah, I did a little bit of research. I think you did, too. I did. In fact, when people were talking about this movie earlier last week, they were like, oh, it's the scariest movie of all time, and it's based on a true story. And then someone had released like a little mini documentary video on that true story, like a seven to 10 minute thing. Was that, uh, did you see like an interview with the family or did somebody actually do a, a thing? Cause was, I haven't seen that. It was more of a talking about what was going on, but intersperse it with clips from the movie. Mm, and they, okay. and they also put pictures of her up. I've which, seen those, which it kind of plays into the whole story because there's a, a part about, you know, picture bursting into flames on its own. Mm-hmm. So it is, it's the true story of, of this weird story that happened in Spain uh, involving a, a girl named Estefania Gutierrez Lazaro. And why it's kind of notorious is it's the only case where a police report was filed about supernatural goings mm-hmm. on that the police witnessed to yep. this day. And it happened in, in 1990, 1991. Yep. And, it's kind of a possession story. It's a kind of a possession, you know, if you believe in that, the girl that, you know, messed around with the Ouija board or Ouija board. I don't know. I'm always pronounce I pronounce it Ouija board, but I'm not sure if that's the right way. I don't want to anger the Ouija board. Yeah, please don't. I don't have one in my house. Um, I don't think there's an eclipse coming up anytime soon. So I think we'll be okay. Yeah. So yeah, let's, let's go into that. So in, in the movie, it's, there's a girl, she's had some bad stuff go on her, her boyfriend, dies and her father has been dead for a little while and she decides to go play with the Ouija board to try to talk to the boyfriend. So that wasn't her boyfriend. Oh, okay. It was her friend's boyfriend. Her friend's boyfriend was a a guy who rode a motorcycle and had spiked hair. Okay. So they perform what they say a seance with the Ouija board during a freaking solar eclipse. Now I'm not that superstitious, but I don't really mess with Ouija boards, and I specifically don't mess with them during solar eclipses on Friday the 13th, you know, any of those kind of things. I'm just going to not do it. Yeah. So I don't really believe so much in possession, but I don't want to invite it into my world. No, neither do I. Um, I found some kind of doing some research into the story. The director, Paco Plaza, has said that um, this story, like you said, uh, you know, only kind of documented case of uh, – detectives experiencing supernatural phenomena um, is, is kind of legendary in Spain. So, you know, urban legend, whatever, kind of ran away with it. But, you know, the similarities end pretty quickly after the um, seance with the Ouija board is performed in all yeah. of the research that I did. Yeah, that's, that's what I noticed as well. It's the beginning or – some of it is based on true story, but a lot of the mm-hmm. individual sequences are not. Uh, in the movie, the girl has a pretty tough life. Her mom works basically all the time, late nights at a diner, and she's forced to take care of her sisters. Sisters and little brother. brother and little brother. So yeah. there's there's three kids, and they're significantly yeah. younger than her. We don't know dead. what happened to the dad, but we know that he's dead. And she, you know, she has to basically be the adult in the family. And one of the mm-hmm. things about these kind of movies that I always 
like when a director does. It makes it scarier to me. And I, I think the best example is the first Child's Play movie for, of this, where the people's storyline is so bleak that you kind of don't know if what you're seeing is real or, or what you're seeing is the person acting out. So in, in this movie, yeah. are you looking into her, her hallucinations based on all the tragedy and based on the fact that she's overworked and having to basically be an adult when, at the age of like 14 or 15? Mm-hmm. You know, just like the child's play, is the kid just acting out because of the single mother and, and all that? And you just, you know, depending on which point of view you're watching the movie from, was Chucky really doing stuff? Or in this case, is that weird faceless demon? Yeah, that's really fair. Um, reading the kind of the reports about what actually happened, I don't mean to anger any spirits or anything like that, but it kind of sounds like typical teenager behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, aside from the hallucinations, but tantrums, fluctuations in temper as, you know, Veronica, who's the main character is experiencing, she's lashing out. I think it's a good point. Mm-hmm. And the, the, uh, speaking of supernatural spirits, uh, what'd you think of the creature? I'm really glad that the creature from Annihilation has continued to find work. Yeah, I was, you know, being a faceless alien monster, I was definitely, uh, like, I was happy because you really don't want that kind of thing idle. So the fact that, you know, two major movies in about a year, that's impressive. Yeah. It's, you know, good for, for, you know, the, the faceless, sexless being. Um, <laughs> I like the way that no, thing moves. Like sliding yeah. around the walls as shadows and, and it was very cool. It was actually so uh, cool that I forgot to be scared at some points. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's kind of neat. And I was like, and it's a, the one part where it walk, slides around the door, then on the sidewall, then like across the window. Yeah. Uh, pretty cool looking. Now there's, there's a part where it does slide around and it slides behind like this frosted glass door. And yes. I totally wasn't fooled. I was like, okay, the mom's home. Oh, uh, okay. But the parts where it's in shadow and it's kind of reaching towards the other children and you know, Veronica goes to to help them, to stop them. And, you know, there's a part where the, the kids wake up and the kids are like, why are you, what are you doing? Why are you choking me? She's yeah, like, so they, they think that the, looking at it through her eyes, like these hands come out and are like grabbing this kid. And when the kids wake up, they just see her there and have felt their hand, their throats being choked. So you don't know. And that's kind of what I was getting at before is like, are you seeing her being possessed or are you seeing protecting the kids yeah i don't think i interesting i don't think i picked up on that as quick as you did i think i read later that it was a possession film and i was like oh okay yeah i get that but you can definitely if you look at it with that mentality it's it's yeah I, i definitely see it now i tend to watch movies that way where especially if it's like an action movie or something like that i'm always like how are you gonna get away with this or you know, even like a movie where someone's trying to stop someone else from killing them. And I'm like, you're going to end up getting like accused of doing this if you're mm-hmm. not like a cop yourself in the movie. So I kind of always look at movies with a little bit of that. So, you know, obviously she had to rush in and try to save the brother and sister, but it, knowing that they were going to wake up and see her hovering over them as they were feeling something wrapping their hands around their throat, they're going to be a little confused. Yeah, it was definitely a kind of witch vibe. Have you seen witch? I, I did. Yes, I did. Okay. So it kind of had that going for it. Yeah, I know I say it a lot, but the, a bunch of slow burn movies. <laughs> yeah, this one I wouldn't say was. You no, know, there was there's definitely a slow burn horror sequences throughout. I thought the actress in this was really good. I did too. She's 16. Um, I I don't know 
it i mean it had to be special effects the parts where she's screaming oh yeah i actually missed the one part i missed because i had i forget why i stepped out like i missed the actual seance for some reason really it did parts great oh i had to give um some medicine to my cat and if you've ever given medicine to a cat you'll know that that was actually way more scary than her screaming as she did the seance so you performed your own exorcism yeah exactly essentially exactly <laughs> yeah no the the seance part was pretty creepy um it it was you know nothing new with the Ouija board i mean we had a movie called Ouija um everybody knows what it is it kind of just kind of flew and took on a mind of its own but you know after they had stopped and Veronica kind of leans back and starts screaming. Her mouth gets huge. Okay. And that was creepy. Probably the creepiest thing in the movie to me. The uh, the nun was sort of creepy as well, but she wasn't. Sister death. Yeah. I liked, I liked her comments about that. But... Yeah, she was pretty cool. But she was like a good guy, but she was kind of creepy. Just kind of lurking mm-hmm. around and smoking, which is actually funny. You can definitely tell this movie was made in Europe because different opinions on smoking completely. Yeah, nobody much really everyone was smoking. Yeah, and uh, the parts where, you know, the... Well, it was also like 1990. Oh, so, okay, so it was so, back then, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was because there was um, Spanish Pearl Jam throughout the whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> Which was great. I loved the lyrics to that. I did, too. Yeah, there's a band playing, and they kind of sounded a little bit like Pearl Jam's vocals over maybe, like, the cult kind of music. It's kind of a little harder rocking, but... It was like, pretty cool. They're pretty good. It was. I looked them up. It was a uh, uh, Heroes de Silencio, which I'm probably mispronouncing Heroes, but Heroes de Silencio, and they they've broken up since. But it is her favorite oh. band in the movie. Yep. But they they've had they were actually a relatively big band over there. They did Monsters of Rock over there. They did a bunch of the major shows. But the the they were good. And she has you know it's it's cool that they had like a real band as her favorite band and like the posters on the wall and it really kind of set the movie back in that time. The music was very time period sensitive in a way. Yeah, definitely. There were um, posters of the guys, the bands on her walls, you know, the big hair uh, just before grunge hit. Yeah. And kind of did away with all that. Yeah. It was like, it was in that, you can kind of tell it was that transitional period Mm -hmm. where it wasn't quite eighties rock and wasn't quite grunge, but it was like the combination of the both. Yeah. But also what, what set it back was um, how the, 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 Sister Death, she was, you know, chain smoking cigarettes and she was standing right next to the 16 year old girl. And it was just kind of like, oh, okay, that's a thing. Yeah. You know, today people are like, oh my God, how dare you? You terrible person. Right in front of a child. Yeah. Yeah. But she, Sister Death was um, a sister at the school that Veronica went to. She was kind of the creepy one that, you know, she, she was staring right at the sun during the eclipse. So she was blind. And it's later revealed that, you know, she can see also what Veronica sees. So after Veronica goes through the seance, as we alluded to, she's seeing things. She's hallucinating. Um, the sister, when Veronica c- confronts her, says that, you know, I can see the shadows too. And reveals that she blinded herself because she thought it would stop it. Uh, but the vision still haven't stopped. Did you not catch that part? I was too interested in the way the sister was presenting that information that I missed some of that. Cause like when she kind of walks off and is kind of looking off into that section of the basement, like I was, I was expecting to see something yeah, like they didn't show it, which is different than most other movies. So yeah, I was expecting to see something come yeah. out of the shadows and they, they lingered the camera in certain areas. So I was kind of half expecting like mm-hmm. a, cause 
the creature had very like painted black hands. So I could definitely see, I was like, okay, somebody's going to come out of there. So I was focused on that and I missed some of what she was saying, but now I get it. I missed the blinding part. Yeah, that was, that kind of gave me a chill. Um, I think that was the best dialogue in the movie, but you know, the dialogue between the, you know, Veronica and her siblings was really, I think, natural, um, very genuine. I thought the, the little kid actors were adorable and they were good, especially Antonito, the little boy. Yeah. With his little glasses. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was All so cute. Little, that's, that's the one thing that I really liked about this movie. Um, and I keep on talking about the difference in cultures and stuff. It really, there's a few things that were really cool about this. They showed a lot mm-hmm. of their lives just doing tedious things, waking up, getting, taking a bath, taking a bath, getting breakfast ready, all that kind of stuff. And it made you feel like you were part of the family. It invited you in. Yeah. That was really cool. <laughs> and I really liked the setup of the apartment. Yeah, it was like H shaped and one of the and her room was mm-hmm. on one side of the H and then there was a obviously a made giant drop because it was a skyscraper and then the kids bedroom was on the other side of it. Yep. So like she would have had to basically run when she had to go to the kids room because she could see through their window. It was like it made me it was full a- of heights because I was like, oh, my God, can you imagine if something was happening with this beast trying to like throw the kids out of the window or something? She would have she couldn't just run down the hallway. She had to like run around a corner around yeah Yeah. it also will probably make you think twice about having a a, in a ouija board or a um a simon in the room because it was really good use of the simon game it was it was very kind of those those parts were really cool i thought the little throwbacks with the simon on the floor um you know almost kind of like the stranger things happening uh with the the lights Mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool, kind of the spirit world trying to communicate through that. And yeah, I don't want a, a Simon anywhere near me. Yeah, just it lighting up the room. I don't know, it was pretty cool. So uh, the other thing is a lot of people said that this movie was the scariest movie on Netflix. Yeah. And I, um, I don't think going into it thinking that is a good idea. No, and I hate that people do that. Um, I understand it, I guess, but when people are saying that every couple of months – it just, I've got to not listen to that because my natural reaction is, oh yeah, we'll prove it. And it, there's no way it's going to live up to that. Yeah. Well, there's no, so there's no middle ground on the internet these days. It's, it's the best thing yeah. ever. It's epic yeah. or it's terrible. It's so epic. It's the worst thing ever. No, it is good. It's above average. It's well paced. It's very well made and it's worth an yeah. hour and 30, 40 minutes of your time. I agree. There, I I really enjoyed some of the things that they did with the camera work in the beginning, where it's really no spoiler. Um, they open the movie with now it's not the actual nine one one call, but they open it with police responding to a nine one one call, and it shows the camera from the side of the te- detectives going into the apartment, and then it flips around and kind of rejoins that shot at the end of the movie. So I thought that was really interesting. I do. Actually, the camera shot I liked and actually rewound it was, I forget exactly where it was. I think it was at the school where the camera does a complete flip and it's looking up the school and, oh, and it yeah. looks like it becomes an upside down cross. Yeah, it was it, it was an inverted cross. Yeah, which is really cool. So there was also, um, there were a couple other shots where she's trying to figure out how to kind of break uh, what they've done 
kind of like unsummon it and she's going to get another copy of these occult magazines and she's walking across the city. But instead of walking on the ground, she's walking on the pages of these books. So there, there are some neat things in there. Um, some, some really kind of crafty camera work as well. So you can appreciate that. I would suggest watching it just kind of close out here. Um, I would suggest watching it. Yeah, I give it a thumbs up. Um, not the scariest movie you'll ever seen, but it was good. Worth, you know, an hour and a half of your time. Well, I guess we're going to go ahead and move on to a, it, I believe it's Netflix, a Netflix original movie. It yeah, is, yes. Netflix original movie. Yeah. It's called The Ritual. And mm-hmm. I do have to say, I was I was surprised yet again. And I, I probably should not be surprised by Netflix anymore because they're doing so much just really good stuff. Yeah. Really it's, good stuff. It's Across pretty awesome. Good I original mean, stuff. Good original series. I mean... Baseline just, stuff. It's like, it might not be overly out of the ordinary, but it's still very well done. Mm-hmm. And also or they're, they're picking up things that kind of died off, like, you know, maybe not died off, but lost interest, like Black Mirror, and then bringing it back and just killing it, you know? Mm-hmm. So go Netflix. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But um, this this is a partly horror movie. Um, no, it, I, I guess it is a horror suspense film um, that it, that has like a supernatural twist to it, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, just really, really well done. They do They do a great job of developing the whole sense of dread um the just the sense of being lost it's it's another it's another like Blair Witch type movie where they're lost in the woods yeah you know they did such a good job on this that even though there was horrible things happening they were lost all that stuff the shots in this movie were beautiful and like they were showing them lost in the woods and all I can think about is like I would love to go hiking there Mm -hmm. yeah it's actually set just without the monster hunting you well Yeah. yeah Um, I, I did a little bit of research and it's, um, you know, the story sent around four friends who go on a hike on this trail between Sweden and Norway. It's called the King's Trail. And they're taking this trek, um, six months after the death of their friend Robert, who's killed in a, um, a, a mugging gone wrong, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they're kind of, and how shocking this was that? Is, uh, that was whoa. Yeah, that. Yeah, when you see yeah. it in the flashback, it came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. It ha- it happened, and I literally went, "Holy, <laughs> oh my god!" Yeah, yeah. This was actually um, the movie was directed by David Bruckner, who you might not know his name, but he also uh, wrote and directed a segment for the movie Southbound, which I'm a huge fan of which is kind of like an anthology kind of deal. And uh, also you guys have heard of the film VHS, right? Yeah. yeah. He wrote and directed the segment called amateur night, which turned into a movie called siren. Okay. Amateur night was one of the most popular segments from VHS. And it was definitely my favorite. You know what I think Netflix seems to do just from talking about it with you guys and stuff like that. A lot of the stuff that flies under the radar as being really good, like Southbound. The horror fans knew about it. We've heard other podcasts talk about it, which is how I heard about it. They find these people that that did this stuff and might not have made it commercial, commercially successful, but it was creatively successful, and pull it into their own works, or they you know, buy the rights to their works, which I think is one of the strengths 
so many other things. We look at the other stuff they've done. We're like, oh, I like that. I like that. Wow, I wish more people had seen that. Yeah, the more work by them. I I think that the talent curators at Netflix just go ahead and call them that. They're like old balding men in robes. They're like, yes, this I enjoyed this film. Maybe I should be a talent curator. I'm an old balding man in a row. <laughs> and but but they're standing in front of crystal balls, like foretelling the future, and they can actually do it well. Oh yeah, the oh, people um, will like this show. Yeah, but I'm 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 glad to hear that you guys did. I I did not at first. I Greg, you had some opinions on the uh, the Gang of Friends. I actually kind of liked the Gang of Friends. Yeah. Early on. I didn't early on. And I liked the idea of what they were doing. They were going off to that this kind of bleak mountain with a stack of rocks to basically, you know, pay tribute to their friend that was killed. Mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of a cool idea. Um in fact I thought that the name of the movie Ritual was like that was the ritual. So when it was like the <laughs> six month thing, I was like, Oh, it's only been six months. So it couldn't have been a ritual that they had been doing year after year after year to celebrate his his life. Mm-hmm. I yeah, I thought they were going to go up there and and ritualistically resurrect him <laughs> or something is is what I was expecting. Which is why you are not one of the talent curators. Correct. And and did did you really write the trail between Sweden and Norwegia? I did because Norwegia is fun to say. <laughs> right on. I was wondering who was messing with the script. I'm 20% Viking. I can say that. Yes. Gotcha. Right. Anyway. Uh, so, yeah. So anyway, they, they're up doing this thing. And one of the guys basically twists his ankle really badly. Mm-hmm. Tears his actually, meniscus. Actually, it wasn't his ankle. It was his knee. Oh, his knee. Yeah, it was yeah, his knee. He, he tore his meniscus. Mm-hmm. Rob, and had there... you been with this group of friends, would they have, would they have survived? Had you, would, would you have been able to fix him and get him home? Um... No, I would not have been able to fix him, but I would have gotten him home because we would have stayed on the freaking trail. Yeah. A little bit of bad ideas ahead. Yeah. Dumbasses. <laughs> so they're definitely not woodsmen. No. They're not survivalists. They're not the outdoor type. They're they're doing they're taking this trip to honor their friend's memory because it's what he suggested that they do for their annual trip. And nobody was really keen on the idea. You know, they wanted to go to Ibiza. They wanted to go to the beaches somewhere. And their, you know, friend who was killed, he was like, let's go for a hike. And they were like, a hike? Really? You want to go walk? Yeah. Nobody wanted to do that. So they've, you know, they're not prepared. They're only prepared for like three days out there. And, you know, once their friend hurts himself, it just, you know, they go off the rails as, as we're apt to do. So they, um, you know, stumble onto an ancient ritual. Yeah, they head into the, they head into the woods, mm-hmm. and things all the it. trees are marked by these creepy symbols. Well, these... they head into the woods because they think it's a good idea. Instead of Shortcut. instead of the trail that goes around the woods, they think it's a good idea to cut directly through the woods. That's like that's like miles and miles wide. I'm like. How is that a good idea? I don't understand. That what? No, you get Yeah, it's it's all very disorienting. It's all very the same looking. Um very there's old, no mark very old growth. So it's tall mm-hmm. filled, like just full of trees. 
No marked paths. Yeah. As of course, was saying, there was like weird symbols carved into the trees. Yeah. Of course, GPS stops working. Cell phones lose all signal. Of the, course, the compass you know. stopped working too. Yep. At that point, you realize you're probably heading into a horror movie. And and you're totally effed. Yeah. Well, they happen upon a, this like cabin. Yeah, and this is where it started to get good for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it came because I was like at this point, I thought too. It did, yeah, agreed. Um, it was kind of boring up until that point, with the exception of, I hate to say it, their friend getting, you know, brutally murdered. But they happen across this cabin, and they're desperate to sleep and stay warm because it's raining, and they all have super crazy nightmares. I'm, and then everything I'm, goes insane. I'm sorry, when they opened the door and found that totem, there is no way in hell I'm nope. sleeping in that cabin. <laughs> Yeah, the, the headless nope. torso totem made out of, like, wood with, like, antler hands. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you are out of your mind, man. <laughs> and and when they found that room, they went back st- downstairs to sleep, and nobody closed the freaking door. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of the friend, one of the friends made a joke. He said, I'll give $1,000 to anybody who sleeps with that thing. And, <laughs> Which would totally and, be me. I'd be like, and, and everybody was <laughs> Everybody was like, no way in hell. <laughs> so they at least had some sense. No, yeah, some like sense. they find it, and as you said, they decide to, to stay there. And I was – there's two possible things. Either one, you're, you've just happened upon the place where there's like a weird cult or a complete crazy person. Either way, you're getting murdered. Oh, yeah. If you stay in that house. Just leave. Yeah. But they make their decision, and they stay there, and they all wake up either covered in pee or worshiping some – naked wood torso or super bloody the next morning so they all have these crazy nightmares and then uh they all go crazy yep and so that you know basically they can they kind of continue walking there's uh eventually and and, good yeah this whole while they're hearing noises they're hearing this kind of deep throaty uh kind of puffing noise that you would hear from kind of like a like maybe a moose or a reindeer um and it's kind of stalking them. And, or and the whole or is it the whole movie, you're trying you're trying to get a good look at it because you see glimpses of the thing that's following them, and you you get it you get a hint of what's going on, and but you can't really get a good look at it. And my God, at the end, I was like, man, that is that is awesome looking. What I was screaming. I always do that where I'll see yeah. like if they try to do that thing where they only show you a glimpse of something, I'll try to like. Google, if I'm at home, I'll like Google it. You know, like, what does the monster from Cloverfield look like? Mm-hmm. And it's like, they really, I really should not do that and just let the director show me something when it's time to show it to me. Uh, this creature was not actually on Google at this point. But at this point, actually, I thought the movie was going to kind of take a turn, kind of like the thing where uh-huh. it was them all- going against each other versus mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. against something else. So it briefly does that, but then it really does turn into a bit of a creature feature. Yeah, with- and that is when I started to appreciate the camaraderie and the friendship, you know, between these four guys. Um, I don't think actually at at this point they had lost a member. Yeah, the creature does come and drag one of their friends off, and that's that's when it really started to get real. I thought um, with it, when they were camping one night, and he came and took them out of the tent, mm-hmm. and yeah, I was like, ooh. Shit just got real. Yep. And then, yeah, and then they have to, then they eventually, like, happen upon the guy's body in a tree, and they have, they have to, like, take his body down, because he had the, they couldn't find their stuff, 
and he had the knife and the what was it the knife and the, the compass? Compass it wasn't yeah. working anyway. But yeah, yep. Well, they you know they find him split wide open as they had found the deer, uh, you know, or like a deer or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And that was just a sign of things to yeah. come. Yeah. Well, I, and I got to say, when I saw that elk, I'd have turned, I'd have turned the F around right there. I'd have been like, nope. <laughs> I would have yeah, just you know, the, down the right one there. Guy. Nope. I'm done. <laughs> let's go. The, the main character is saying, let's just, uh, let's just go back. You know, come on, let's go back the way we came. And they're just like, no, come on. So it's just kind of like over. Well, even if you put yourself in those, that position and you might, you might be like, well, it's not some sort of supernatural thing. Cause that's not initially what anyone would think. The next best guess would be a really big bear <laughs> that did something like that or some crazy hunter. And, and even uh, that would be like, nope, and, I'm out. And there, was, and there was no way it was a bear because for, for, for the, for the listeners, the, the, the incident that we're talking about, they were, they were doing their shortcut through the woods and they came upon what was probably like an elk or a, a really large deer but it was it was yeah. impaled on tree branches about four to five feet off the ground. Its arms were splayed out and it was eviscerated. So its intestines were hanging out and, and falling down onto the ground. No bear is going to stage the thing like that. So it had to have been staged by someone or something, but it wasn't a bear. And I'm like, I'm like, dude, that that. <laughs> animal had to weigh like 500 pounds there's no way i'm going forward i'm like <laughs> yeah i think that, i think they even theorized that it was like hunters or pagan yeah. hillbillies that the latter was actually Not, correct. neither of which is a good idea so i'm i'm like no nope, peace out y'all can go ahead but i'm going back to the yeah. trail <laughs> yeah, so, so jimmy just touched upon the pagan hillbilly so that's you know we're heading towards the end of the, the film here and they do happen upon good old pagan hillbillies with, of course, more bodies like up on these like posts r- ready for something. I love the pagan hillbillies. And it, of course, led to my favorite part of the movie that I couldn't wait to tell Jimmy about. <laughs> and I almost ruined it for him. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I watched this movie. Um, I was actually watching it on Tuesday and I got lost in it. I was nursing my back. I, you know, have this kind of nagging injury. But. I'm laying on a heating pad and I look up at the clock and I've got, you know, 25 minutes left on the movie, but I have got to go see game night. So I work with Greg the next day and he goes, Oh, do, you know, there's this part at the stairs. And I'm like, okay, is it around this point? He says, yeah. I said, say no more. And as soon as I got home and I watched it, I knew exactly. So he's what like, ah, ah, nope, stop. No, so there's, there's a part. Yep. That- exactly. It was the most natural reaction where there's a, a guy, the one, the main character has been captured. He's trying to escape and he gets seen or happen. He's happened upon by this very old, like culty, like witch. Lady. Yeah. Like witch lady. she looked like the witch from Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. <laughs> yeah. She did. And it, like, as soon as she sees him, he just hauls off and decks her. And he's like, down like a sack of potatoes. The exact reaction. Like most people are like, Oh crap. And run the other way. And it's like, she was like 90. So he just punches her yeah. and continues going about his business. And I'm like, okay. And it just made me like, I actually laughed out loud when I saw it. And you're of course really tense when watching it. So when that happens, you're like, oh, okay, nice relaxation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it was for a, a moment there, you had a little reprieve to kind of laugh because it, there really weren't that many funny, mo- mo- you know, moments during the movie. It's, it was pretty mm-hmm. freaky, but, and 
let's talk about the the creature. Okay, yeah, no, uh, Rob said the creature was yeah. awesome. I've I agree. It was a really unique creature effect. It was now, very cool. Mm-hmm. Now my question is 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 that yeah. actually designed off of a Norwegian um, Norwegian themed monster, or did they just kind of make it up from scratch? Because, I mean, I they they talked about they talked about uh, the Jotuns and and Jotunheim and and them being children of Loki, and I, I'm curious to know whether or not the concept for that creature design was already in existence. You know what I mean, or if it was something that they came up with completely mm. on their own? It's actually a really good question that I wish I had I, the opportunity to research. It is. Um, I, it's uh, the ritual is Norse mythology inspired by Modar. So Modar is a god, and it is recreated by Russell Effects for the movie Ritual. And if you want to check out some really cool kind of behind-the-scenes pictures of it, if you go to russelleffects.com, it's R-U-S-S-E-L-L-F-X.com, you can see some really badass behind-the-scenes pictures of the practical effects. I mean, it, it's not a CG effect. The description on this one page, uh, it's Forbes.com, said that it's it, they purposefully combine man and beast. So it's the body is that of a malformed elk, very big, while the head is composed of two humans – who may actually be insentient and eternally trapped there for all we know. Uh, the arms act as mandibles, and the other two hold up the antlers of the abomination. Uh, it's very unsettling, and it looks like something from Pris- Princess Mononoke. So I believe it is not based on anything, but mm-hmm. it is it is their god, the people mm. in the woods' god. Mm. It's a very ancient... Uh, very, I'm still here. Very ancient. Keep what? going. They said it's a very ancient god. When when asked what it was, so um, there you go. A combination. It's of ancient things. pagan, you know, of the woods and stuff. So it's mm-hmm. it's, it's um, uh, Viking mythology, basically uh, Norse Norse mythology. It's it's based on um, I don't uh, just uh, a lot of different. They say a lot of different influences in Norse mythology. Okay. No, so I think you know we can kind of close this out here. Uh, I always feel weird because we've tend to talk about a lot of the stuff that we like, but you know, we don't have that much time to watch things that we don't think we're going to like. And it's yeah. another really, and plus mm-hmm. we've kind of been in a period where everything is really good. So other than when we run into the justice league occasionally or some other things, I really think that this, you know, Netflix has been on a winning streak. Oh, without yeah. question. And I don't know if they're going to stop. I mean, it's, uh, it's pretty great. I mean, we've talked about so many films, uh, mute babysitter, you know, ritual just keeps coming. Veronica, <laughs> uh, freaking. Well, Veronica wasn't a, a Netflix, you know, original, but you know, we're looking at program now, like, uh, you know, Stranger Things and um, whatever that show that we all really Black liked, Mirror. the sci-fi uh, Altered Carbon. Altered Carbon. Yep. Yeah. How can I so, forget, guys? If you want a couple, if you want to have like a good horror night, Veronica, The Ritual, some popcorn. It's a good night. I definitely recommend the ritual. Very, very good. And it's worth watching just for the uh, creature alone. Yeah, it was one of the coolest creatures I've seen in in years, for sure. I got the opportunity to go back to where I grew up, which is Boca Raton, Florida. And while I was down there, there's a place called the Silver Ball Museum, which is a pinball museum. That's awesome. It was so much fun. Uh, So it's in a city called Delray Beach. 
Uh, there are a couple other ones. I know there's one up in New Jersey with various names, with various pinball related names. Mm-hmm. And what you basically do is you pay $10 and it's all you can play pinball. It's not like you have to feed these machines quarters. It's all just free play. You can walk up to anything and it is about the size of a kind of a long, narrow warehouse. It's pretty big and it's got pinball games from the the 40s all the way up till now. So there's, I mean, there were pinball games there that were made of wood that had like, there was ones that were sort of like pinball, but you were you know, basically playing baseball and like the the pitcher would like release the ball and you'd swing oh, yeah. a baseball bat and hit it up into the like, the little holes would say like they're you know, triple or out or whatever. Uh, and of course going in there, I was kind of like thinking back, like what are my, what pinball machines do I hope are there? I'm like, oh God, I remember the, the uh, Adams family one. Like, I wonder if they have this. I wonder if they have the, uh, the Guns N' Roses one, the, the Kiss one, which is really popular. And what's cool is you, you, know, you can play all these games and like they also have like placards on the top of them that explain the history behind them and explain why this one was like game changing. Like, oh, this is the first one that had two levels. You know, this is the first one that like a uh, Black Knight was the first one that had like an upper level. Uh, there was another one that was the first one that had like a le- where you could play underneath the game board. You know, this is the first one that had something on the, the screen where you could like spell out words by hitting different letters and stuff. It was really cool. And like you kind of learn a little about the history of pinball. And I didn't realize that pinball was banned in major cities from like the 40s to the 70s, like New York, Chicago. Really? Really? Yeah. Why? Because it was considered a gambling game of chance, like a slot machine. And so they thought it was a game of chance because for whatever reasons it was banned. And then a guy named Roger Sharp, who was a, he was in advertising, but he was a big fan of pinball. And I mean, this was like super banned. It was like, you know, they would have the police stage raids and they would smash the pinball machines with like hammers and sledgehammers and pose next to them and then dump them in the river. So this guy named Roger Sharp, they brought him in to like play in front of journalists and lawmakers and stuff like that to prove that it wasn't a game of chance. And they brought in two pinball machines, which is kind of an interesting story. They brought in two pinball machines and he had been pr- practicing and was very familiar with another one. And the, the Congress person or whatever, the games person was like, Oh, okay, well, let's have you play this other one because this first one might be rigged so that you look like you're better doing whatever. So he's playing it and he's like, so he just turned to the guys and on a whim, he called his shot like Babe Ruth. He was like, I'm going to launch the ball, you know, with the pull the thing back, I'm going to launch it up and have it go down like the center of the machine, which is going to get me the most points. And then he went and did it. So it wasn't a game of chance. He actually used skill. And the congressman at that point or whoever he was basically was like, okay, I've seen enough. We should, this should lift the prohibition. Yeah, lift the prohibition. But this was in 1976, so like one year before I was around, one before Rob was around. Really kind of interesting, but it actually makes me think about it. Like whenever there was showing as like a someone as a source of rebellion, like the Fonz or even you know like the the Rebel Kid in some TV show, he was always playing pinball with like a cigarette tucked behind his ear because <laughs> it was actually in some of these major cities it was considered illegal. The place is really cool. Like I said, they had the Guns N' Roses game. They had they talked a lot about the art and the artists, which I is, I loved. You know, talking about the artists of like Black Knight three uh, two thousand, I think was one of the games that was mm-hmm. just beautiful artwork. The on the back of the thing, the some of the more modern games actually had like there was one for the Hobbit that actually played clips of the movie when you did different things. Um, I think the most oh, modern man. machines was two thousand from two thousand fourteen or so that they had there. Was it the Hobbit animated one or I uh, played it from the Hobbit movie or it looked like. It might have been video game versions of clips from those movies. 
Mm. So one of the things, uh, what do you think the best-selling pinball machine of all time is? Twilight Zone. They had that one, but that was not it. Although I don't remember a single bar that I was in that didn't have that. So what what, what do you guys think? Um, Kiss, maybe? Yeah, that's what I would guess, too. One of those ones. I hate Kiss. There was, there was one that I vaguely remember that had, like, a fan on the top of it. It was, like, a getaway one or something, and you would, like, it was a racing one. I thought that might have been it, but... Uh, it was actually the Adams Family, which is weird because Pinball's peak was in the 80s, late 70s, early 80s, and the Adams mm-hmm. Family didn't come out until 1991, but it was easily hmm. the best-selling pinball machine of all time, which I thought was kind of interesting. Was that before the movies? Uh, it was It was the movie one. It was based on the movie. Was that like Uncle Fester, the light bulb in his mouth? Yep, right at the bottom. Yep. And there, there was the little hand that would come down. Yeah, so it's weird because you don't like. I oh, don't yeah, I remember that. think about them, but now like... As I was walking around, I was like, I remember that. I remember that. And I wasn't exactly playing pinball when I was in arcades back then. But, you know, it's a it's an art. I mean, these a lot of these machines, there's one company that makes them right now. And a lot of them are handmade. You know, the art is from an era that's gone by. It's stuff that we still look up to, but it's it was just really interesting. And Yeah, I was actually looking through a list of some of my favorite ones. And, and there's just so many. Twilight Zone was... Um, definitely my favorite there was um eight ball was another one that i remember um there was like a roller derby one twilight zone that I twilight zone had that weird really weird uh gumball machine in the middle of theirs if i remember it was, yeah it was, I, I was like what is that is that what roller was? games was another one there was another there was like a a roller coaster one yeah the thing i really liked about it was you know it was a bar they had food it was pretty it's pretty close to the beach pretty close to some you know, some train tracks and you get all different types of people there. But at the same time, it was also very kid friendly. Like I walked in, they brought up, they had little stools for the kids to kind of carry around so that they could play too. Mm-hmm. They were not like, you know, don't, don't do that or telling the kids not to touch the machines. It was like, you know, there were signs on some of them, like this machine is, un- is being refurbished. Don't play with this one. But there were other ones that they could play with basically all of them. And it was just I- really cool. I feel like I could get very much into a um, let's try and beat the high score kind of deal on one machine there. <laughs> they had um, little placards on each machine with whoever had the high score on that game. Uh, yeah. It was like a, a laminated paper that you could like write on. Oh, I didn't wow. even come close. Um, some of them were so much harder than I remember. But it's, I mean, as soon as I had played the Guns N' Roses one where you instead you pull back the trigger, the pin thing launcher the ball launcher thing it was actually just like a gun and you press the trigger like as soon as i did that it brought me back i was like i remember this (laughs) i remember that actually nice so if you find yourself in delray beach which it's a very cool place it's like i said it's right on the ocean there's a lot of cool stuff to do in that area um take a little bit of time spend 10 bucks support these guys and it's packed so it's, it's not like they're hurting um, or if you live in that area, it's 30 bucks a month and you can get unlimited plays anytime you go in and you know, a bunch of other benefits, you get cool swag and stuff. So wanted to give a shout out to those guys. They were really cool. Awesome. Yeah. I, I can't wait to get back down there. The last time I stopped in Delray was, um, we stopped at the blue anchor, which, you know, you guys are familiar with and we weren't able to spend a lot of time there because we had to get to a concert in Miami, but I you just driving through there. I was like, man, I really want to stop here and spend some time. Um, so next time, I feel like I could spend all day at the pinball place. Yeah, you know, when Rob and I were growing up down there, Atlantic Avenue was actually the place you didn't go. 
Like it was, it was pretty dangerous. And then I went off to college. And when I, right around the time I was graduating college, people were like, oh, you should check out Atlantic Avenue. Like, huh? And they, there was like a, You're like, no. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they had redone it, you know, it completely, it, it gentrified. And it was, yeah. there was like a, an old mechanic shop that they turned into like an, a kind of a bike. It's, I say biker bar, but it's got live music, which, you know, really good bands. The Blue Anchor has, it's a British pub, but. You know, it actually, the front of it, as I told you, came from a pub that was in England that was one of yep. the pubs that one of the victims of uh, uh, the Jack the Ripper ate, drank, drank at. And then the guy retired over here and brought the pub with him, basically. Yeah. And they have, like, legit and, uh, British music on the on the weekends and legit British food. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, which we unfortunately didn't have time for, but next time. Oh, so good. The the shepherd's pie there is delicious. So Anyway, there, that's... That was moment sponsored by the Chamber of Commerce of Delray Beach, Florida, and the Delray Beach, Florida Tourism Board. <laughs> go check, check it out. out. Yeah, go check it out. And say hi to my mom while you're down there. All right. So before Greg passes me up again. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I'll jump in and I'll, I'll give a brief little review of a game that came out rather recently. I believe it was last month. Uh, Monster Hunter World. And like we alluded to earlier with uh jimmy and, and that was actually one of the things that i that i thought about how to describe it jimmy was yeah. that it was was that it was pokemon except that you don't collect the monsters in friendly little pokeballs you collect their corpses and use them to strengthen your weapons and armor now are there before you get into it are there like little kind of trash poke pokemon are there little kind of trash monsters that you just kind of grind you know farm with yeah, you can, and mm-hmm. I, I think I'm going to have to do a lot of that because this, the the game is really pretty. Um, it's a 360 degree world, and basically the premise is is you're there and you're going to help thin out the monster population so that they can settle the area, so to speak, or okay. at least that's that's all I've gotten to so far as far as the story is concerned. Um, but it it plays a lot like. Bloodborne. So right. the um, the combat system is a lot like Bloodborne. I haven't quite figured out how to do a lot of things yet. I've, I've played with a couple of people who have been able to use the environment. Like you can climb up on trees and jump off of them, land on monsters and do various attacks. Like, you know, you ride them and then you like stab them in the head 50 times or something. That sounds fun. I haven't quite figured out how to do that because I climb up objects and I try to jump on the monster and I end up just jumping down and landing in front of the monster like, hey, man. Like, hey. And then they munch on my skull. And it's it's very painful. And I think we I need like a Twitch channel of us playing video games poorly. Oh, it's so bad. <laughs> it's because I'm like, how the hell do you do that? I don't get it. What am I doing wrong? Because I climb up on the thing and then I just – I think I did it once by accident. I, I I mounted a monster and stabbed him in the back repeatedly, and then he threw me off. So uh, what's the um is is what's the um bad part of dying? I guess do you lose anything or you, so, no? I don't believe so. So far from what I can tell, if you die too many times, you fail the mission and then you have to start over. And and I found out the other day that if you're in a party. Deaths are shared. Uh. So if you're in a party with four people and three of you die, that's it. Game over. You got to start over. Okay. 
Whereas if you're by yourself, which is significantly harder, especially when you're me, because <laughs> I'm just terrible. You're just um, landing in front of them like, hey, how's it going? Yeah. Hey, what's up, man? Hey, man. Piss off, monster. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's, 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 it's a little difficult for me. I haven't gotten terribly far in it, but it's a really pretty game. Um, I need to spend a little bit more time with the with the combat system, trying to figure it out. One of the, th- <laughs> the one of the problems I'm having is that the button control is really weird, and I haven't changed the controls yet. But like the square button is like your item button, and so when you press the item button, it's not like an instant use thing. It takes like 15 seconds, and you have to like continually like sharpen your blades like your your weapons dull over time they lose their edge over time so in order to keep your damage up you have to keep sharpening your weapon well in the middle of a fight your weapon dulls out you got to sharpen it right so you have to sharpen it so you have to (laughs) you have to like hide behind a tree or something that's what i've had to do you have to hide behind a tree and then sharpen your weapon and you're going come on 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 and he like kneels down he's like you know runs a whetstone over it you're like what are you doing let's go come on yeah i saw a really funny youtube video of of somebody fighting a monster and they're just talking they're like you just you just wait hang on a second i'm hang on, <laughs> on. let me sharpen sharpen this blade hang on one second i'm gonna get your ass just hang on let me sharpen this blade hang on it's, hang on it's so the problem i keep running into is i keep accidentally press not accidentally because i'm used to like different controls <laughs> So he I just keep hitting the start sharpening your blade. I, I keep hitting the square button, and he kneels down and just starts. And I'm like, no, no, no! What are you doing? Shit! Stop. Shit! No, no! <laughs> or, or I'll accidentally change it because you can change your item, your your item button to do different things, and mm-hmm. and you like cycle through this this whole menu, and so I'll accidentally hit a button and change the item. And he'll randomly sit down, pop out a campfire, and start roasting meat. I'm like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> yeah. And then, and then when I want to sharpen it, I'm like, "Oh crap, where's my whetstone?" And because I, I go to sharpen it, and then he starts roasting meat. I'm like, "No, sh- crap! What are you doing?" Or you sit down and start tying your shoes. I'm like, "What are you doing?" Oh my god! Now to sharpen your blade, can you do that? Like infinitely, do you have to find whetstones or whetstones? Whetstones are infinite, but the other stuff is not. Like you, you, your your whetstone will continually sharpen your blade. You don't have to find. You don't have to keep finding whetstones to keep your blade to keep yourself in the game. Because I mean, eventually, what what could end up happening is if you don't just specifically farm whetstones, you end up mm-hmm. in a position where you can't sharpen your blade and you can't kill anything because your blade is dull. Do your so, blades degrade over time? Yes. Even, okay. The, so the, eventually they're going to go away. The, well, no, no, they they don't just go away. They just stop doing any kind of reasonable damage until you resharpen them. Until you resharpen them, yes. Mm. It's a challenging game, and I can see where you could get lost in the whole in the whole dungeon grind thing. You know, grinding for materials and grinding for gear. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, that was our uh, special guest, R- Rob. You said your name was. <laughs> oh, F you, <wow>. Greg. <laughs> Sorry, Rob. I just forgot to put him on the script, and then forgot that he was going to talk about the game. And yeah, well, uh, Rob, Rob, Greg sucks. Since, since I'm a terrible person, would you like to ask the question of the week? Sure, I will. I will introduce the question, and 
I, I think we went ahead and decided that since Jimmy had actually got a chance to go see Game Night, and we had talked about Monster Hunter, and we had talked about a couple of games, at Ouija Board in particular. Um, we, and, and Pinball in a way. We, we got to talking about what would be our top five Game Night games. What are our favorite tabletop games slash board games that we like to play at a Game Night? And or theoretically. Yeah, well, correct, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, if... You know, if if I actually had friends um, and, and I had them over, I would like them to play these games with me. So how about I start first? Do it. Go for it. Okay. So my number five I have to is going to be the Ouija board. Yeah. Oh, uh, I am never going to a game night at your house, Jimmy. <laughs> I, I played this with my cousin years ago and it was like, are you, are you moving it? No. Are you moving it? No. I'm, are, are you? And it it was really freaky, and I I have not played it since, but I'd be willing to on a solar eclipse if anybody's down. <laughs> no, I totally uh, picture Jimmy setting number... up a bunch of like ventriloquist dummies and like dolls and playing like alone, like a little tiny table. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's weird, uh, but totally true. Number four is going to be exploding kittens. It's a fantastic party game. Mm-hmm. I actually have the not safe for work version of it. And it's, it's, it's significantly better. Super funny. It plays really fast. It's, uh, it's hilarious. Partially done by the guy. Number three. Email, comic, like online comics. And it's, so it's got funny art. It's not, if you haven't played it, it's really yeah. fun. Number three is going to be uh, a game that my girlfriend hates, but for some reason I, I love it. It's the Oregon Trail card game. Which is virtually impossible. If you guys remember playing Oregon Trail, you'll just get, you'll pull a card and be like, you've died of dysentery. You're like, oh, okay. Well, you know, we're an hour into the game, so I'm, I'm done. <laughs> um, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's stupid challenging, but still, um, uh, my number two and number one were hard because I wanted to throw cards against humanity in there, but I have not. Hopefully, and I'm sure you guys will, but number two is Magic the Gathering. Hmm. Which is is great, you know. Um, Do you I've, play that, Jimmy? Yeah, I mean, I I haven't had anybody to play that with in a really long time, but I still have decks. Oh, uh, we're doing a game night. Okay, but now you guys are leaving. Uh, and number one, it, no Ouija yeah, boards. Yeah, that's fine. We can play Magic: The Gathering on a Ouija board. My number one board game or tabletop game is going to be Mutant Chronicles: Siege of the Citadel. It's a game that is being, it was successfully kickstarted like a year and a half ago and should be available again to wide release. But it's a game I played when I was in junior high at summer camp. And it's a very, uh, what's it, a running man style game where corporations control the future and you have two little characters. Uh, it's a lot of fun. I can't wait to have you guys play it. And hopefully when it comes back out, we can review it. It's a lot of fun, and I just can't wait. So that's not my number. That's my list. Nice. Very, very cool. Greg, you want to go next? Thank you. My, uh, see, I grew up without doing the whole board game thing. We didn't have, we didn't do a lot of those for some reason. Uh, too much money spent on G.I. Joe, I suppose. But the one board game <laughs> uh, I did have was Crossbows and Catapults. Oh, yes. Uh, Jimmy, I don't think you remembered this one, but I've told you about it. But... Mm-hmm. Crossbows and Sounds familiar. was basically the real life board game version of either Angry Birds or the what is that Protect the Castle game you used to play? 
the one with the yeah um oh, that was so much fun i played that for song but yeah it was like a uh, alignment yeah, you had to get stuff. the kind of telemetry so had, correct um, what you got mm-hmm. was like these little plastic bricks and like a little tower and a play mat that had a treasure in the middle of it and you had a crossbow which would launch these little round caroms they called them straight ahead or um yeah, crush that the was crushed the castle or a catapult that would launch it over mm-hmm. uh catapult was really hard to hit anything with the but anyway so you'd set up all these you'd everyone got to build their own castle and you had to try to knock down the castle knock over the person's tower and then land one of your caroms onto the treasure chest. And the cool thing was, is like, that was the starter kit, but you could get other kits that had like a, a Trojan horse that could launch stuff and a bunch of other things. So it's a really cool game. It came out in the like 1983 or so. And I'm surprised it hasn't had a comeback kit. Hey, Greg, I still what? have mine. I do. Un- unfortunately, one of the crossbows is broken. And I think one of the catapults might be broken, but I, I still, Gotta fix it. I still have, I can print parts for it. I still have the bo- I still have the box, and I still have most of the pieces. Interesting, and yeah, Jimmy could three D print the replacement parts too, nice. or you could sure. soon. So that's nice. my number five. Uh, number four is a game called Mixtape Massacre, which again I haven't really had a chance to get too deep into, but it is a current game that's that's out now where it's basically a you're a character in an eighties horror movie, and you have to survive and get your the other players killed off before you get killed off. And all of the characters are, you know, sort of based on 80s horror tropes like Chucky or Jason or Freddy or uh, Leatherface. So, mm-hmm. and the reason I have it was because a certain guest host of this podcast got into a car accident and I got it so I could like hang out with them and play it. But we didn't get a chance because October was busy as hell. Um, so that was my number yeah. uh, four. Number three is Exploding Kittens. We already talked about that game. Very fun. Uh, number two is Trivial Pursuit. I love Trivial Pursuit. Oh, wow. Nice. Um, yeah. I specifically love the pop culture one and the um, Star Wars version. In fact, there is someone that does listen to the show, (laughs) and I played the pop culture one with her. And I just – I went on a run, and she never got a chance to even roll the dice because it just – and it wasn't because I was (laughs) great at it. It wasn't because I was great at it, but, like, if I hit a sports question, they didn't ask me, like, an insane sports question from late 1940. Like the question would be about like the Pittsburgh Steelers. It was, it just happened to be that all the questions were like, you know, who is the lead singer of Pearl Jam? It's like, sweet. <laughs> so I got, I went on a run and she was, she was pissed, but. Uh, uh, Trivial Pursuit was always yep. a game that the adults played when I was younger, but I have played the Star Wars version. It's a lot of fun. Um, yeah. Trivial I've- Pursuit actually pretty cool. I've played the Harry Potter one and the Disney one. Yeah, the uh, the um, uh, the adult version or the adults used to play it too, and they always played with their British friends. And they get questions about like Leave It to Beaver and TV shows from like the fifties and sixties from before their British friends lived here. So they would just trounce them. Mm. I, I very distinctly remember there being uh, friendly arguments. But anyway, that was number um, two. Number one, of course, is Cards Against Humanity. That game gets funnier as the night goes on, especially with all the different packs. You can write your own cards. Yeah. And more offensive. And extremely offensive. For some reason, a card sitting in front of me on my desk that says, I am become blank, destroyer of blank, that I don't know how it ended up in here, but it's been laying on my desk since we started the podcast. Um, It's just, if you guys don't know what it is, it's a very offensive game where basically someone will ask a question, people try to answer the question using whatever offensive cards they have in their hand, whoever... And then that person judges who the funniest is without knowing who answered them. 
and and it's it's a lot of fun, very enjoyable, and you learn a lot about some of your friends when you play people. this game. Yeah, I learned a lot about my wife. Oh yeah, um, but also like, yeah, I and, played with my mom the other day. I was taking pictures of the various answers and sending them to these guys. And they were like, "What?" <laughs> so, Cards Against Humanity is my number one. It's a very fun party game if you are probably playing with people that you don't like work with, and or the, or depending on what job you do. So there you go. Well done. Well done. Very nice. Well, I'll go ahead and and drop my five on you. Um, I'm at number five. I'm going to start with one that I played as a kid, and we played when my grandparents came over to to visit. Um, and it was it was a family game. It's a it's a several person several person game, but it's called Gimme Five. Are we going to get sued? Basically, no. Probably no. It's it's a um, it's kind of like a Connect Four type of game, except it's it's five. You play with uh, you play with chips, and you play with like a deck of cards, and you place your chips on the board based upon the cards that you have in your hand. The object is to try and get uh, five five trains of five. So, and you can you can continue play, and people can play cards and block you so that you can't get the the five, or you can block other people. The object is to get to get the trains of five. I think it's five trains of five, but it's, it's a, it's a nice game. It's a game that we played when the power went out, stuff like that. It's, it's, it's enjoyable. It's a nice family game. Do you have that? I actually do not. My mother does though. My, my, uh, my grandparents actually made, made their own version of it because all it is, is cards and a board and poker chips. So, okay. so they, they made their own version of it. And so my mom has that version at her house and it's, it yeah it's you can you can order it online it's you can find it just look up gimme five board game and it's it's fairly easy fairly straightforward and it's it's a good family game cool my number four game is gonna be munchkin um it's a game that i've picked up recently uh and and i've really enjoyed it we've had a couple of game nights where you know it's a four person it's up to four people and it's a lot of fun and you can add to it we played zombie munchkin if i remember correctly Yes, yes, you're right, you're right. And it's it's fairly straightforward. It's a lot of fun and you can continue to add to it with with um like booster packs or uh expansion packs. They have expansion packs, they have a standalone game and then you can add to it and you can add different aspects to the game and it can go on for a while, but it's it's really enjoyable. My number 3 is going to be Exploding Kittens. And we've talked about that already. Nice. It's it's a lot of fun. It's fairly easy and it's fairly quick. Um, it's it's a game that can go like ten minutes. It's a game that can go like thirty minutes, maybe depending upon the number of players. But it does it does go relatively quickly. My number two switched positions because it was my number one, and that was Cards Against Humanity. And we've talked about that. I love playing that game. I find it absolutely hilarious and offensive, and I am. I am so completely offensive when I play this game. Oh, I bet. <laughs> oh, I did. I, I. We'll, we'll have to play it sometime. I have been so offensive that I have been ashamed of myself when I play some. <laughs> when I play some cards, I'm like, oh my god, how? Uh, I, you know, you like duck your head and you take the card when you win. No, I'm pretty sure he's not actually <laughs> even allowed to go to Canada anymore based on some of the cards he's played. Entirely possible. Oh, wow. Entirely possible. Um, but my number one 
And I have played it many a night for many, many, many hours. Is Magic is Solitaire. No, Magic the Gathering. How many cards do you have? I have thousands. Do you? I do. Hmm. Um, yeah, we're going to have to play. I've got a couple of pre-built decks left. Um, I sold a lot, but I might have some in boxes. I, I sold a lot because I didn't have anybody to play with, and I didn't know this about well, you. So we're, we're learning so much about exactly. each other. Exactly. And the problem that I have is magic. Um, what the hell? Just keep oh, okay. Let it happen. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> magic has become a lot like um, the the standard for magic has become tournament magic, and oh, yeah. I cannot stand tournament magic. Tournament magic is how quickly can you kill the other player, which drives me oh, which is- drives me insane. I, I can't. I can't play tournament magic. So I, I tend to play casual magic, but I have a hard time finding people who want to play casual magic. Well, now we have. Boom. Yeah, see, the Give Me Five podcast is bringing people together. You didn't like my dramatic piano? This, yeah. you, know, you were talking about how you guys were brought together, and I was like, ah. Oh. I, I did. had nothing to say. So I, It came, it came out of nowhere, and I was like, <laughs> what? Okay. Anyway, gotcha. okay. why don't we uh, close this out? All right, guys. So – those are our favorite card games, and we will hopefully get together at some point in the future to determine a definitive five. And I think the best way to determine that is to get together and play these games. So stick around for that in the future. Guys, thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with us, check us out on Facebook at the Give Me Five Podcast. Email us, check out our store, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Good night. Thank you. Good night, guys. Thanks for joining us. It's hot in here quick. Damn. It's that sultry, buttery voice. Thank you, thank you. Donde estas Rob? Oh, geez, when doing soccer practice night, they, they put me in goal because the kids get to play with, like, goalies now. So my, like, old ass was being, like, pelted with soccer balls by, like, five to seven-year-olds. That's hilarious. Probably not going to be able to walk tomorrow. Yeah, because I know that you can't walk when I pelt you with balls either. <laughs> <laughs> Oh shit, we're recording. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, baby.